anyway, uh, open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 1. We're going to continue in our two songs uh, series. Today is, is like side B. Do you remember LPs? Like side B of the LP. Last week, we looked in Luke chapter 1 at Mary's song. Uh, this week, yeah, uh, we're looking at the, the, the other side uh, of the LP that are these two songs uh, in Luke. Uh, and we're going to look uh, in Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 67 to 80. Um, these two songs are full of the same characteristics, uh, praise and worship. They both speak and teach us something about baptism in the spirit and worship. Together, You can follow it and, and I'll read it for you. Um, Luke chapter 1, verse 67. I'm jumping straight into the middle of the narrative. I don't assume everyone here knows the story or everyone watching us on YouTube knows the story, uh, but I'll do a bit of context in a moment. Um, John the Baptist has just been born. That's a tiny bit of context. Um, his father, verse 67, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he's come and has, ha- and has redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophet long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, and you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him, to give, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence with us as a family this morning. We thank you that you're with right now by your spirit, those who are on YouTube as well. We thank you for the remarkable ability of the church to gather around Jesus in our homes and here in the building. We welcome you now. Would you teach us Holy Spirit, um, would you draw our hearts to you, Lord Jesus? And I, I pray, Lord, as we respond in worship and with the gifts of the Spirit in a few minutes, you just draw a beautiful response from us to you that glorifies your name and lifts our hearts. Hallelujah. Amen. So, um, what an incredible story. One of the surprise bestsellers uh, this Christmas uh, on the book list has been uh, the lyrics uh, book by Paul McCartney, uh, that just explains uh, the story behind those old, they're really old songs now, by the Beatles. In fact, they were all out on vinyl like this originally. Um, and uh, it's been a real bestseller so far this Christmas. And of course, we're talking about two songs in Luke's Gospel. We need to understand the story behind the lyrics. Uh, as Zachariah sang this prophecy, where did all this come from? In verse 5 of, of Luke's Gospel, uh, as Luke is beginning, he tells us Zechariah was a priest. We're still in the old order here. Jesus has not yet been born. The priests are still operating, functioning, uh, doing on behalf of the people the worship of God in the temple day after day. He's an older man, Zechariah. He's married to Elizabeth, who is an older woman. They've never been able to have children. 
and it tells us that, uh, oh, Zacharias looked on his weekly email and he's on the rotor to serve in the temple over the next few weeks. So he comes in, uh, he leaves home, um, and then he gets picked in the lot that they draw. He gets picked to serve in the Holy of Holies. He gets to take the incense and swing it around in the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. It's amazing, isn't it? I wonder, we've got loads of people that come every week because they're serving on a rota. Wendy in her amazing Christmas skirt, serving on a rota this morning. Imagine if you've just come to church because your name's on a spreadsheet. And as you get here, you have an encounter with the living God. Wow, anyone here hoping for, expecting that this morning? Praise God. Yeah, that's what happened to Zachariah here. Um, The angel Gabriel appears to him. He stands between the altar and the incense. Zechariah, it's just another day in the temple. And here's the angel Gabriel. He says, oh, you and your wife, I've got a message for you. You're going to have a baby boy. And he's going to have this unique prophetic call on his life. Uh, Zechariah asked the angel a question in verse 18. He he says, how can I be sure of this? You think it's a fair enough question? He's an older man. They've never been able to have children. It's interesting to contrast with the story of Mary last week. Uh, where Mary asked the angel the same thing when he said, you're going to have a baby. You're a virgin, but you're going to have a baby. She said, "Um, how can this be since I'm a virgin? But the the contrast with Mary was that her response ended up being a believing response of faith. She asked a question, but she asked it from a foundation of believing and trusting God. And then she said, let it be to me as you have said. Zachariah's response is a little bit different. It reminded me actually of, of listening, uh, looking back at the stories of Abraham and Sarah way back in the beginning of the story of God's people. Back in Genesis 15, I think, where God first tells Abraham, an old man, unable to have children. Just like Zechariah and Elizabeth, Abraham and Sarah says, you're going to have a baby. Uh, Abraham laughs, it says, in Genesis 17. Uh, Genesis 18, Sarah, his wife, overhears Abraham and the men of God speaking. Uh, these men of God were angels, maybe even a, a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Who knows? Anyway, Abraham's having this remarkable conversation, again, about this promised child that he and Sarah are going to have. Sarah's making dinner for them. She overhears, and she laughs. The angel says, why did Sarah laugh? Is anything too hard for the Lord? If, if you know the Christmas story, if you remember last week as we looked at Mary's song, the angel Gabriel says the same thing to Mary. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Or the other way around, nothing is impossible for God. There was some laughter with Abraham and Sarah, but there must have been a measure of believing God, of confidence in his promise. Later on in Romans 4, Paul's writing to the Roman church. He seems pretty confident. He says, Abraham faced the facts. He considered his body was as good as dead. But it says he did not waver in unbelief concerning the promise of God. If you read the story, you think, he looked a little bit wavery to me. Uh, But Romans 4, no, there must have been a response of faith and confidence in God. Zechariah does waver. Zachariah responds in a different way. He asks the question, but the question shows something in his heart that isn't quite holding on to God and God's promises. And so, remarkably, there in that moment, meeting the angel Gabriel, he is struck deaf and mute. Um, Listen, when God speaks to us, especially when God speaks extraordinary things, there's room for doubt. Hey, have you got some doubts this morning? That's okay. God's not going to strike you uh, deaf and unable to speak. Don't worry. Doubts are okay. Surprise is okay. Confusion is normal. Um, fear 
Uh, fear is totally appropriate as well. That's why every angel says, don't be afraid when you're very afraid. Fear is okay uh, as well. Not knowing how things are going to work out. Yeah, that's true. That's good. That's fine. Having room for questions. Yes, absolutely fine. But God saw something in Zechariah of unbelief in his heart, um, behind his response. And we know from the scriptures, unbelief is rooted in sin. And sin requires repentance and fresh faith and new obedience. So here's Zechariah, deaf and mute for nine months. Um, it, it says in the text early on, he's unable to speak. But later on, when they uh, come to say, what's the name of, uh, of your son? It says they gesture to him. So he must have been unable to hear as well. He's just in this silent world uh, for nine months. Um, I love the way Gabriel doesn't even answer his question. How can this... How can this be? I'm very old, he says. Gabriel doesn't say, oh, well, you know, God could... No, Gabriel says, I'm Gabriel. I come from the presence of God. There's a time where God doesn't even answer your questions. Zechariah gets... It's like a divine timeout on the bottom step. Um, bit of time to reflect, Zechariah. Get your heart right. Realise sometimes there's a time where God speaks and we listen. God's plan is being worked out. We just need to come into line with what God is already doing. Who are you to talk back to God and suggest maybe he needs your wisdom? Maybe God hasn't realised you're old and, oh yeah, God's picked the wrong guy. Perhaps I'd better look for a younger priest in the temple. No, I'm, I'm Gabriel. I come from God. God's got a plan. Now be quiet and let God work out his purposes. Wow. Um, that's a strong response and sometimes we need to recognise that. What I love next is that Zechariah does seem to move into faith and obedience. A little late, but he, he gets there. Verses 23, 24. What does his faith and obedience look like? Calm down here. Uh, but he goes home and sleeps with his wife. It's an act of trust. This old couple who for years have uh, done this act of love, but have never had children. He now goes home and sleeps with his wife. Listen, friends, when God speaks, we partner with him. Um, we take steps of deliberate uh, obedience that demonstrate the faith that we have in our hearts and demonstrate that we believe him and that we accept his word. This story is a very unique application of obedience. It's not true for all of you. If there's a husband nudging a wife today, this passage is not for you. Uh, this is a unique passage here, um, but it's a very specific act of faith and obedience. I think as well Luke wants us to know that this is very different. He, he puts these two uh, conception stories together of Mary and Elizabeth side by side, um, but this is a conventional pregnancy. The Holy Spirit overshadows Mary. She's going to carry the Son of God, the God-man, Jesus Christ. She remains a virgin even though she carries and gives birth to a child. Zachariah goes home and sleeps with his wife. It's still a miracle. It's like Abraham and Sarah. Um, there's a miracle of healing or some temporary reversal of impotence or the menopause. Or, but it comes about in the normal and conventional way between a man and a woman. That's not what's happening with Mary, where a man from heaven is deposited in her by the Holy Spirit. These two conception stories that sit side by side, both are extraordinary miracles. And then verse 57, he's still with me this morning, by the way. He didn't know we were going to get into all that before Sunday lunch, did you? Um, from verse 57, Zachariah's isolation comes to an end. 
baby John is born. John the Baptist, that wasn't what they named him. The is not his middle name. John the Baptist, Baptist is not his surname. He, he got that reputation later because he baptized lots of people. We call him John the Baptist, but his parents didn't write that on the birth certificate, uh, although that would have been fun. Um, and he tells the gathered family and friends, no, this baby's name is John. He writes it on a, on a tablet. Uh, for those of you, again, under the age of 35, that's, that's not one of these. Um, that's probably a slate with a bit of chalk or something like that. Um, and immediately he's released from his deafness and his muteness. And his first response is this beautiful, prophetic song of praise. And it's a measure of what's been going on in his heart over these months of silence. His growing faith and trust in the plan of God. His quiet worship and wonder as he, as he watches his older wife's belly swelling, his confidence and joy in the plan of God. Even through this time of what has been disciplined from, from God. You know, sometimes even when you're in a time of discipline, these are the opportunities to realise, wow, things seem silent right now, it's hard right now, but God is shaping me. God is growing something in me. I love what uh, the writer to the Hebrews says about God's discipline of us. Uh, Hebrews 12, 6, my son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Wow. And maybe some of that was going on here with Zechariah. God's a loving father, but he rightly, as a loving father, brings us under discipline from time to time. Listen, church, there are attacks from Satan which come against us. We, we, uh, we discern those and we rebuke them. We stand against them 100%. Absolutely, uh, we rebuke and resist every attack from Satan. But that's not what's happening here with Zechariah. And sometimes in our lives, I wonder whether some of you today are doing this. We, we love to blame Satan for some of the tough stuff and the pressure in our lives that's going on when maybe God is bringing something to bear in our lives because he wants to mature you and shape you as his sons and daughters, as his children. That's what's happening here with Zechariah. You can see that's what's happening. How do you discern whether it's pressure from Satan or pressure and discipline from a loving Father God? Well, look at the fruit in Zechariah's life. Remember what it says in Hebrews 12. Don't lose heart when the Lord rebukes you. Discipline from the Lord always restores us, never crushes us, always brings us into hope. We don't lose heart, even though it's hard sometimes when God's shaping things in our lives. If God's shaping something in you today, saying it's so hard right now, Lord, but you're still full of hope in him bringing you the other end of this process. It's God at work in your life. We thank him for his fatherly, loving discipline. He's going to bring out the best in you and bring you out the side. It's evidence of his love and his care. It shows that you're his son or his daughter, that you belong to him. If it's Satan's attack, we resist it 100%. But God's loving discipline, though it's hard, though it may last for a time, we, we discern it and we embrace it. Um, humble yourself, 1 Peter 5 says, under God's mighty hand, because we know in due time he will... Lift you up, friends, if you're going through some discipline from the Lord right now, in due time, here's a word for you, he will lift you up. This won't last. You'll come through. Respond to God. Respond to his training in your life. Don't often hear many amens to words about the discipline of God, but it's worth one, isn't it, I think. Finally, to the song. We said we'd look at a song this morning, didn't we? Uh, what a song. It's an overflow of praise, uh, prophetic praise. After nine months of silence, it's quite a comeback from Zachariah. Um, I, I, I don't know about you, uh, when we had our babies, um, 
we were pre kind of social media. I think we had I think we had a computer at home by then, but it was it was even pre Facebook. Can you imagine that there was such an era? Um, I used to have to go and get photos of our children developed on film uh, in the in the city centre in Manchester. In fact, my colleagues at work in my office would see them at lunchtime first when I picked them up before Kaz even saw photos of our babies. When our children were born, I wrote all kinds of silly songs and sang them over our kids. Um, that's what's happening here as Zachariah's son is presented. And they must be so proud, so amazed. What's different here, though, is Zachariah doesn't even sing his song about his boy. <laughs> it's remarkable. Full of the Holy Spirit, he begins to sing about another baby. He points to Jesus in his song. And that's what the Holy Spirit does, church. He points us. He leads us into truth. John 16, 3, later on, uh, Jesus was teaching his disciples about how the Holy Spirit works. And he said, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he won't glorify himself, but he'll speak about Jesus. He'll speak about me, Jesus says. The Holy Spirit always leads us to Jesus. When we were in the song about Mary last week, we spoke quite a bit about worship um, and our focus in worship. It's just worth noting again here as we look at Zachariah's song. Friends, if, if our songs that we sing in churches don't centre on Jesus, if they focus more on my feelings and my stuff, um, and uh, they miss the wonders of the Messiah, Jesus, then they're not worship songs. They might be church songs, but they're not... Worship songs. In fact, actually, they are worship songs. They're just a funny kind of misdirected worship. They're, they're actually a form of idolatry, um, a kind of 21st century, all about me, selfie stick generation kind of worship. This song, anyone recognize those songs? I, I'm so grateful for our worship leaders that work really hard to make sure we sing songs that lift up the name of, uh, of Jesus. We, I, I believe we're in a generation where we deeply need the Holy Spirit to silence us sometimes as the church and to point us to Jesus and to fill our hearts and our, our gaze with truths about Jesus that means our mouths open and we sing about him and glorify him with a new song. Hallelujah. Verse 67, filled with the Holy Spirit, Zechariah, began to prophesy. The, the word that's, that is in our English Bibles for filled means completely filled, right to the limit. Um, ben Stevens dated my daughter for a number of years. Uh, then we had one of those amazing moments where Ben asked for a hand in marriage. And now they've been married for six months. And uh, well, we love many things about Ben. Uh, but one of the things I observed about him pretty early on when he started coming around and eating around our dinner table was that whenever Daisy was engaged in conversation and distracted, he would uh, fill up her glass on the table. We've, we normally have bottles of water on the table unless it's a special meal. But whatever it was we were drinking, while Daisy wasn't looking, Ben would just fill her glass. Very, oh, it's kind. It's really considerate. He's just thinking about his uh, fiance. But Ben always, he's just got an amazing judgment. He, he just manages to fill her glass right to the top so there's a skin. <laughs> a pond skater could just about walk on it delicately. Um, every time Ben can do that, and every time Daisy will, oh, Ben, will turn around. That, that's what the word means. We, in fact, we have a phrase in our house, when anything is filled up, we say, that's a Ben Stevens measure. Um, if, if I forget to press the button on the coffee machine in the morning and I pass Kaz our espresso and it's, it's right up here, you can't even stir it with the sugar. So I, that's how Ben would make coffee. That's, that's how good he is uh, at this skill of filling. That's what the word means when it says Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you want to be completely filled? As much as you or I are able to be filled with the Spirit, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Wow. And I think two things we see in the scriptures all the time, and certainly in these stories, we commented on it last week too. Sometimes we overflow with praise as a response to getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we begin the mechanics of, of flowing with praise, and so we get filled with the Holy Spirit. Friends, I don't mind which way around it works for us this morning, but I want to get filled with the Holy Spirit, and I want to praise Jesus with all of my heart. Both are seen here in the scriptures. And we can have confidence to come to God from either direction if we're hungry and thirsty for more of him. And he says in verse 68, praise the Lord. That's his no words for nine months or a little bit more. And then he shouts, praise the Lord. The, the word again, um, uh, translated praise the Lord or blessed be the Lord is eulogitus. It's where we get our word that we use in English, eulogy. Um, you often hear it, uh, a eulogy at funerals where someone will speak highly of a person. Uh, they'll speak well of them. They'll, they'll kind of speak a blessing over them. In the Bible, this word translated praise or eulogitus is only ever used of, of man towards God. It's never used the other way around like we use it in our human terms. So we're lifting up, we're boasting about, we're, we're speaking highly of and honouring and giving honour to the name of Jesus. That's what Zachariah's doing here at the start of his song. It's how we always approach praise and worship. In verse 64, it says, as soon as his mouth opened, um, he began to praise. It's the same word. As soon as his mouth opened, he was eulogizing uh, and singing praise to God. I don't know about you and me, disciple. I think there's a lesson for us here. So often our first words that come out of our mouth are rooted in our fear, our hurts, our anxieties, our insecurities. Uh, Hey, there's a lot of reasons why we might speak things out of insecurity right now in life. There's a, there's a deliberate choice for the disciple of Jesus. Maybe even for some of you first thing in the morning, before you even get your bed out of your feet and into your Christmas slippers, just to say, Lord, I'm going to take captive every other thought that could dominate what comes out of my mouth today. And right at the start of this day, I'm going to choose to give honour and praise and lift up Jesus above all my stuff and start my day that way. Anyone else like me want to resolve to start the next few days in in that way? Come on, let's go for it together. We'll change the world. Uh, We'll certainly change our little world. And this praise and eulogy is specifically focused on Jesus the Messiah. Verse 68, he's called the Redeemer. Um, Zechariah sings, God the Redeemer has come to us. He's come to his people. That's the great story of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, that God has not remained in heaven. If you, if you don't yet know Jesus and you wonder, how can I get to God? Hey, you can't get to him, but God has come himself in the form of Jesus. He's come to us. Um, verse 70 says the prophets spoke about this. The Old Testament, uh, the first part of our Bibles is full of prophetic stories. Isaiah, Jeremiah and others that speak about one who will come in the line of David and sit on King David's Throne, And that's what Zechariah sings about here. There's one coming who will fulfill all the promises of Messiah and King and Saviour. Listen, the whole of the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. Um, and Zechariah sings that promise here. He says, this Lord, this baby that's coming, this son of David, this rescuer and redeemer of God's people, he says actually has come. He's come already. Really? Where is he? Actually, he's, he's in Mary's womb. She's about... I don't know, about six months pregnant right now. Wow, this Redeemer, this Saviour, he's here right now. He's coming into the world. It's extraordinary. What a song. How good it is to know, even when we don't yet know the end from the beginning, that God is working out his plan to save. 
and rescue his people. How God, good to know that, that, that this plan has always been in the mind of God. It's been there from the start. This wasn't a plan B that got thought up on the hoof. Um, it was expressed through the prophets. Now it's coming into play. This wise, this eternal plan of God to redeem for himself a people, even including people like you and me, through his son, Jesus Christ. How good to know we're part of this story You're not writing your own script. You're not trying to live your best life. You've not been forgotten. You're not out of time. You're not too late. Even though we may walk at times through periods of silence and doubt, there is no doubt here. God has made a promise. He speaks in the song uh, in verse 72 about God's covenant with Abraham. The covenant of God is the strongest possible promise that God made to Abraham. I'm going to send a son who will redeem and have uh, uh, and will cover the whole earth. And this promise is kept. He's a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. He writes us into his story. This is the future in God that we have become a part of and we can live out in hope because of. Wow, it's amazing. Verses 71 to 75, I'll, I'll scrape over them because we want to move to a conclusion and to worship together. I think there's something of the politics of Zechariah's day in his song in those verses. And, and hey, it's hard to get away from the politics of your day, isn't it? You only have to turn on the radio or look at the internet right now, watch the news. He's thinking, of course he is, in his context. Ken and Danny have done so well teaching through the Revelation series, helping us understand these words were written into a context. You have to understand that at the time, but then we stand back and see how this letter Revelation speaks to the church through the generations. We can look at Zechariah's prophecy in this way as well. He's thinking about Roman rule, regime change, Romans being overthrown, but the promise in the story is way bigger than that. He, of course, he's thinking just like we do, with our heads down in our own world. But, but actually, the promises of regime change throughout the whole world. The whole cosmos is going to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's a bigger regime change than Zechariah could ever have imagined. This redeeming son of David who's coming to the world is about a greater work. It's not a short reign. He's not just going to rescue us from God's enemies for a generation or two like happened under David and Solomon, but then uh, it all went a bit bad again. No, there's a liberation now from every enemy, uh, greater enemies than politicians and armies and regimes. He's going to overcome Satan and sin and death and the law. We're going to be liberated from them forever uh, as, as Jesus comes into the world. Wow. And so he sings this song. Verses 76, 77. Finally, he sings about his boy, <laughs> this baby John. Uh, John's role was significant. Uh, this song is significant. Uh, but a bit like the song, which is all about Jesus, John's role was going to be all about Jesus too. I love the tenderness in the way Zechariah sings over his, his boy. Um, some translations say, my child, um, my precious son. There's something, we, we just get a little insight into the heart of Father God for us. Um, remember the way Jesus spoke about his beloved son at Jesus' baptism. I'm so pleased, this is my son. I'm so pleased. There's a beautiful moment on uh, this sport this week when Robbie Savage, who used to play fairly average football for Leicester City, was commentating on a game in the Champions League for Manchester City. And in the last five minutes, his 17-year-old son, Charlie, I think, came on 
and, and made his debut for Manchester United. Robbie Savage is on the commentary, and he's saying, this is my boy coming on the pitch for one matter. Oh, his mum's going to be proud. His nana and granddad are so proud. It's my boy coming on the pitch for Manchester United. This is what's going on here with Zechariah. It's a beautiful tenderness, and it gives us a sense of the heart of Father God for us. You know, the, the prophets say that, that he sings over us, he delights over us with singing, not because we deserve it, but because we've been brought into this family through the perfect Son, Jesus Christ. The Father looks at us. He sees Jesus. He begins to sing songs of delight over us. Wow, that's, that's you and me this morning. John's going to be an amazing prophet. He, he lived up to this prophetic song that his dad sang over him. Um, he's the, the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, John the Baptist. Matthew 11, 11 is near the end of John's life. Fast forward 30 years. He's been put in prison by Herod. He's about to have his head removed. Uh, and uh, Jesus speaks of him and says, there has been no greater prophet. John was like the, the final Elijah. He's the one that prepared the way for Jesus, just as the song prophesies. And John lived it out. He was born to preach sin and repentance. He, he gave people knowledge, just as the song said, of the one who would come. He called people to get right with God, it was a unique and amazing call from the moment he was conceived that gets sung over him by his father. So John's call and mission in life from the very beginning was clear. Hey, point to Jesus. John had an amazing ministry. Um, he had his own disciples. At times he gathered big crowds. People came to hear him preaching, but he just kept pointing to Jesus, to the one who was coming. He refused to take the center stage himself when his disciples were beginning to leave him to go follow Jesus. And people said, John, you should be worried about this. You know, your Insta followers are going down. John said, hey, no, I must decrease. He must increase. Wow. When Jesus himself comes to be baptized by John in the river, the crowds think, well, hello, is this a power struggle? Uh, John points at him and says, look, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Wow. We've only got one job to do. John, John can't deal with people's sin. None of us can deal with sin, but we can call one another to repentance. We can say, get right with God. Get right with the only one that can save you, Jesus Christ. That's our only job, friends. This Christmas, as you're uh, praying for your friends and neighbours, as you're thinking about works, Christmas parties, if they're still happening, um, we only have one job. That's to keep pointing to Jesus, to keep letting people know, hey, we can repent and know our sins forgiven and live for the Lamb of God, the one who's come to take away the sins of the world. Nathan, Jane, Hannah, Noah, anyone else I've forgotten? Just come and help us. Let me round up here. This was John's role. Point to Jesus. Point to the... Look, do you see in verse 78? Just concentrate with me for one more moment, then we'll respond together. The tender mercy of God. Because of the tender mercy of God. God's so merciful that he would send a rescuer. Again, it's another insight into the heart of God. He's sending John, the prophet, out of his tender mercy. Because of his mercy, he intervenes in uh, humanity, in our story. He, he doesn't want to let the consequences of our sin play out so that we stay separate from God. In his mercy, he longs to bring us, this text shows us, from darkness into light. Just begin to play something beautiful in a moment when you're ready. Um, Psalm 145, 8. The Lord is gracious and, anyone remember? Compassionate. Yeah, he's slow to anger 
and he's rich in love. 2 Peter 3.9, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Listen, generations have gone by since Adam and Eve first were put out of the garden for their sin, but experienced the mercy of God as he clothed them with an animal sacrifice. Generations have passed since Abraham was called to leave his father's house and begin a new family line of God's people. Generations have passed since David first sat on the throne that one day would be the throne of the Son of God. Now in God's patience and mercy and tenderness, the stage is set, the curtains are pulled back. John the Baptist points us to Jesus. Galatians 4, 4 says, when the set time had fully come, it's this moment in history, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Hallelujah. Romans 5, 6, you see, at just the right time, just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. As we get ready to praise and worship now, I don't know what your plan for your life is, but in the plan of God, it is just the right time now, today, for you to receive the tender mercy of God. I'm urging you today, if you're watching with us on YouTube, please don't wait to come to Jesus. Do you know, friends in the church, it's just the right time for our friends and our neighbours, the family members that live in our house that don't yet know Jesus, that friend at work that you've been praying for. It's just the right moment to point them to the light that is Jesus Christ. Paul says later on, I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. And here's Jesus who's coming to the world, making himself known tenderly, patiently, working with us, leading us out of our sin, leading us into a new life with him. Why don't you stand with me? This, this, as we come to worship and praise, this stunning picture language, verse 78 and 79. Do you see that right at the end of Zechariah's song? The bright rising sun will come to us on the earth. How can the, the rising sun come to the earth? That's impossible. It's picture language. He's coming into the world, Zechariah sings. The son of righteousness, Jesus Christ he's speaking of, is like a dawning, blazing light. He's going to come from heaven to earth. He's going to come and, and wake up humanity that are in darkness and under our sin and under the shadow of death. And he's going to guide us into the light of the peace and the presence of God. You, you cannot miss the rising sun in the darkness. Hallelujah. Jesus, we worship you. Why don't you lift your hands to the Lord right now? I'm going to ask the guys to sing a song and then perhaps in a moment we'll, we'll, we'll pray, do some application, maybe just see if there are any prophetic words or songs like we've had here this morning. Let me just read the words from Isaiah 9 that Zechariah's song echoes. A people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of darkness a light has dawned. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. He'll reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty 
will accompany this. Let's begin to lift our voices, begin to speak out in tongues, begin to praise. Let's eulogize and honor and lift up the name of Jesus. It's not a time for silence now. God, loosen our tongues. Open our hearts that we might praise you with freshness and joy this morning. Hallelujah.